0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Equity Unpacked, a podcast dedicated to simplifying the complicated world of equity compensation. I'm your host, Amy Reback, from the Stock Plan Services team at Charles Schwab. Our session today is focused on the complexities of the pre IPO world, helping private companies unpack the path forward to taking their company and their respective equity compensation plans public. To help tackle this topic, I'm super excited to welcome our client, Kelly Yurt, from the DC area, who recently went down the pre-IPO path with her current employer, Olo, and our very own Brad Haas from Swabstock Plan Services. Let's do some brief introductions before we start our conversation. And you know, in addition to introducing themselves, I'm going to ask each of our guests to choose a word to best describe the pre-IPO journey and why they selected that word. Brad, I'm going to pick on you first. Go.
1: Thanks, Amy. I've been with Schwab for over 20 years and have worked with our Stock Plan Services group for the last 10 years of my career. Within Stock Plan Services, I do have the privilege of leading both the Stock Plan sales team as well as the relationship management group that is responsible for our largest clients. To answer Amy's question specifically about the word that best describes the pre-IPO journey, I'm going to cheat a little bit and use two words. Those words are exciting as well as daunting. I used exciting because there's an amazing sense of validation for the company's founder's vision and the efforts of the team that helped the company reach this milestone event. I used daunting because there are just so many moving pieces that are involved in an IPO.
0: Excellent. Exciting and daunting. Two words, always the overachiever, totally fair assessment. Got it. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it.
2: Kelly, your turn. Thank you, Amy. Um, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm the director of equity administration at Olo, and for the past 15 years or more, I've worked for several public companies, and I've also been part of four teams taking um, their companies public. So if I look at one word, I would say that IPO is, um, the process is more like a wedding. It's a huge event. It's been dreamed of, planned for over many years by many different people with um, varying expectations. We put together a large team in preparation and think that everyone is prepared for all the different circumstances, and we just know that we're ready for that wedding. But inevitably, there's something that happens that was not imaginable until it happens.
0: Yeah, totally right. I mean, that is the honest truth, right? The best laid plans go awry. I I hear it. I've seen lots of wedding nightmares. Thankfully, none of them were mine, but um, I've seen some interesting stuff. I'm sure we all have.
1: Kelly, thanks again for joining us today. I chose the word daunting because, as I mentioned, there are so many things to consider when heading towards an IPO. If we just focus on the equity plan itself, there are still an overwhelming number of topics to consider, from plan makeup to finding a provider and a platform that meets the needs of internal stakeholders such as you, the equity admin, as well as the CFO and HR group who leverage the plan to acquire and retain the best talent. And then there's always the participants of the plan and their needs. Then there are considerations for the end of the lockup period and ensuring that participants in the plan are educated on the process and have a strong understanding of what they've been granted and the choices they have between holding, exercising, or selling their shares. Can you share your experience in going through these and any other considerations you went through?
2: Sure. Um I'd begin focusing on the equity plan and the equity platform. These are key, in my opinion. The plan needs to be understood clearly from all of the different team members, both internally, cross-functionally, as well as um, your vendors. So the team needs to understand that the vendors that they choose need to also understand their plan and that... Just by providing the documents is not enough. You really need to discuss it. Hopefully, both teams are asking questions and over-communicating, and that really it's the company's responsibility to understand the plan and disseminate the information to the vendors. The plan's a legal document, so not everyone who reads it will understand its complexities or interpret each clause in the same manner. So be prepared to break down the nuances of the plan for your internal team if you're the stock plan administrator or on the legal team, which I am both. And then also communicate that and break it down for your vendors into very clear English. Don't be afraid to repeat yourself or to over-communicate. I'd also say remember to focus on timing and build extra time into your plans. So if you leave the timing to one team or one vendor, then they may not understand the complexities of the next step and may not build enough time into the overall process. So um, you can't expect to just hand a letter of instruction to one of your vendors and that it could be implemented in one day. I've seen that happen where um, the process plan has one day for a vendor to do their piece, and yet they're not really thinking overall about how that vendor may have extra steps that they're not aware of to get the quality control and ensure accuracy for your request. So all of this takes time, and additionally, while the company may be working 24-7 preparing for this exciting IPO, all the vendors are not. Uh, this is you know normal. They have a lot of, of different clients, and we need to remember that they're our partners, and we don't want to overly stress them with last-minute urgent items. So we need to build a strong long-term relationship with them and start on very good footing.
0: That's a super important point. I was just thinking that I'm not sure unpacked quite covers it. I'm thinking more like unravel is a better word because there's just there's so much. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you don't really have the time to build that long term relationship. But I I love the fact that you use the word wedding, Kelly. And really what you're saying is this time, you know, the relationship and the time that you have to build into this process is the contingency plan for if it rains or if the groom gets sick or, you know, whatever. So I think that's a great, great point. And I'm so thrilled to have you both here today. We we couldn't do this topic without both of your expertise. I'm going to back up for just a second and, and set the stage because I, I probably should have covered this in the very beginning. You know, there are so many like proverbial rabbit holes we could go down regarding this path to public and how all of that is changing. We've got SPACs, these, you know, special purpose acquisition companies, direct listings. These are playing a really big part in the shifting landscape. So I just want to clarify for our our listeners that we we could spend an entire episode on each of those but our focus today is really going to be on this traditional path for private companies to go public versus you know via a regular IPO. So that is the most likely scenario for most of our listeners and there's a lot of regulatory debate going on with SPACs and direct listings. I, I don't know about you Kelly and Brad but I love to get into debates, but not necessarily on regulatory topics, so I'm just going to steer clear of that, let the experts sort that out, and maybe we can unpack those alternative paths for going public down the road in a a future episode when we have a little more clarity from the regulators. Okay, let's get back to the traditional pre-IPO path. Kelly, you are an expert here, and your most recent experience with Olo's journey to being a public company is like a hero-level story. So you've got a ton of insight on that role that equity compensation plays in, in navigating the journey. I'd, I'd love to start at the beginning. You know, what was that initial journey like? How did you chart the path for going public? There's just so many questions. What were the activities? I mean, so many questions came to mind here, but tell us your story. How did this work?
2: I interviewed and actually started nine days before we went public. So a lot of the planning phase had already been completed. And as I arrived and realized that, you know, we really were that close to IPO, I had to, had to really, you know, grab a hold of the reins and, and start diving into things. So I do remember, you know, I interviewed and, and have talked to a lot of the team about how did they start on the path to IPO? I've noticed that it was very consistent with other companies that I talked with and worked with previously. The Yolo company debated on timing, and and this is very normal. I think that all companies look at not only the timing but also the market's appetite for purchasing shares of the company. There were huge efforts that were made to transact this IPO, and many meetings, discussions, timelines, considerations, tons of excitement, and factors that you know the team were making sure that they. Were ready and which vendors to utilize. So understanding the compliance and the audit role is also a must. Compliance and auditing are both key pieces of the puzzle of transitioning from private to public. And that seems to be one of the hurdles that a lot of companies spend a lot of time on. I think that it's, you know, part of the story of the company that you're telling in the S1 and the numbers and details are more important than most realize. So the S-1 is the start of the public numbers, and um, particularly from an equity plan perspective, this is where the plan has defined numbers of authorized shares and and what has happened so far as you become public. The numbers are normally uh, kept at one vendor or sometimes in Excel sheets I've seen, you know, as the the company goes into finding a vendor and a third-party administrator. So oftentimes uh, the IPO is when a company moves into the new equity system with a broker relationship. And I think that you have to keep in mind that most public companies have equity administrators who have Other roles in their company, they may have inherited the equity role, they may not have specific equity training. So when I arrived, and a lot of this had already taken place, it was being handled by different members of different teams. And it was, um, it was a lot to, to kind of rein in and really get a handle on so a very busy time. I've worked with a handful of companies as a consultant and in-house as well. And what I heard from all of them when I arrived is, I wish you'd been here earlier. So just a note, if you're starting this path to public, you probably should be involving an equity administrator from the start. It makes sense to have that person help choose and implement the vendor and equity solutions that you're choosing. And most of the teams at a private company don't have experience with transfer agents or brokers or, or any equity administration platform. So it's hard for them to choose you know, what would be best for the company. It, you really need the help of whoever's going to oversee this.
1: Kelly, those are all great points. We've also heard from other clients the importance of bringing in your key internal stakeholders is a must. For example, legal, HR, accounting, finance, and any others that want to have input.
2: Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, it's another good reason to bring in the equity admin early so that they can help develop this cross-functional team and kind of um, shepherd it through the process. HR generally handles more of the employee participant type of aspects of this, but all these internal teams need to understand that their roles in the overall process of becoming public are important and you know what just what their role is. So as HR is, you know, understands the culture, they can help with the communications, the training, and they can help everyone in the company realize how they're going to sell their shares. That's generally a a joint venture between equity administration and HR. But so much excitement and tons of questions go into it. So... I would say that spend less time on preparing FAQs and more time answering the individual questions. Um, I would drop the terminology and put it into plain English for your employees. I've seen a, a number of different companies spend a great amount of time creating wonderful educational tools, but in the end, a lot of people won't go out and read or listen to the videos or watch the videos, sorry. Um, so they they kind of just want to ask their question. They think it's unique to them. They don't understand the terminology. So if you can build in some office hours, that's a great way to communicate and educate your team.
0: Okay, so what I'm hearing is it's a big, daunting wedding size project to tackle involving regulators, compliance, vendors, internal partners. Accuracy super important and accounting methods are very different for public versus private companies and there's very few people who have really been trained to administer a public equity compensation plan and even fewer that have significant expertise with the transition from private to public i mean you put all of that together and i've definitely heard of easier things to tackle i don't i don't know about you too but you know one thing i think we should really point out that that we didn't cover because we we probably don't have to for our actual listeners and and the the equity compensation experts or spas out there, you know, for, for folks that might be listening from the benefits world, the reason that this transition is such a big deal is pre-IPO shares that are issued as a private company, the accounting methods are completely different. It's, it's on paper, it's just on paper. There's nothing happening in the markets. There's no real time market value that you'd see on CNBC. So when you go public, Suddenly, all of those shares are trading on the public markets and there's regulations and restrictions and accuracy, like Kelly said, is so important. And that transition for the employees of what they can do and can't do and when they can do it is is really hard and it's all new. So that's why it's such a a huge, daunting wedding size task and it has to be perfect. Now, one thread I'm going to pull on that is about the data management, Kelly, that you mentioned There's a lot there to consider. So when you think about it and in your experience, what kind of assessment do you do to determine what you wanted or what you needed in a record keeping system? How do you assess those systems? What do you keep? What do you add? I know that's a lot to unpack, but that record keeping part helps you get to that point where it's, you know, the accuracy is really, really good. So it can make or break that transition. Can you give us some key points that
2: that our audience should consider? You really do need to have your equity plan experienced spa right there and, and helping decide what you can keep and what you need to change, and and which vendors to use. So they've had a little bit of experience. If you're allowing a team that doesn't have experience to make the choice, it, it can be very difficult. Um, most of the private equity platforms may house grant data and shares outstanding, but they they don't have all of the compliance and all of the all of the data that you're going to need and want to see. So you're you're going to have to you know transition, implement into a new vendor, and and learn how. To find a transfer agent, choose one, implement that. Uh, That's a huge undertaking going from a private company and Issuing your initial mass issuance file to the transfer agent—that's a whole project in itself—and it's one that I've seen not be given the amount of attention that it needs. So I strongly suggest you use a equity admin for this piece. A lot of people let it sit with outside counsel, and although they're wonderful and have done many of them, they may not have all the details or all of the all of the key concerns. So I liken to—I uh, prefer to go ahead and and do that myself. I I know that my counsel, general counsel says, you know, don't let it happen to you. Make sure that you choose your vendors wisely and have open communication between the teams and uh, just try to, you know, move forward, making sure that, you know, everything is clear and buttoned down. Kelly,
1: did you work with vendors at the data management stage and what role did they play?
2: We used different vendors to compile some of the data, create the documents. However, um, there's not an experienced team member there to represent the public happenings of a company, if you don't have that, then things can be missed. So you want to make sure that when you provide plan documents to the vendors, as I said before, they've read them in depth, they are understanding the language and and the nuances of your plan, um, making sure that, you know, your team may be new to the vendor as well. So over-communicate things, ask for extra time, you know, the transfer agent, probably needs 2 weeks or maybe 2 days or however long they need you need to you know find out how long do they need before they can do what you're asking making these shares live on their website and sending out communications to your new shareholders or or old shareholders, but now you're public shareholders. So I think that we need to keep all of that understanding that, you know, maybe we've provided the information in a document to a vendor, but they maybe are forgetting because they're working with a number of different clients. So over communicate and constantly review information as they're updating the information that's going into your systems.
0: Okay, so we have covered a lot, all great points to cover from a private company perspective. Let's go to the next phase. The S one filing. I'm not sure if we should have like to use your word, Brad, daunting music in the background or like follow the yellow brick road kind of stuff. I'm not sure. What does that look like? You show up on the front door of the SEC. You feel really prepared. Is this what's that like? Is it an exciting moment? Is it a hold your breath moment? What was the path here?
2: Well. The accounting and finance teams and equity, everyone are really working on the S1. It's also a a time for auditors to ask a lot of questions. They want records to support the numbers. The compilation is generated. The S1's drafted and filed. And initially, there's usually kind of like a a holding S1. So it has a lot of blanks and I'm I'm sure not using the correct uh, proper term. Maybe it's a a pre-S1 or the the initial S1 that's filed with different blanks and different terms that then are updated as um, you get closer to the actual filing and going public. So as you're nailing down all of these and explaining different items to the accounting team and internal and external auditors, you need lots of coffee, lots of patience, and much time as possible to get these things ready.
0: Right, exactly. I was just thinking. I was going to ask, did you also remove all of the sharp objects off of your desk? Because I think that would have been <laughs> a necessary move for me. True. Okay, so it's game day. Let's unpack the IPO. Tell us about your experience once things got rolling after the S one. And if uh, for our listeners, if you're a spa about to go through this process, what's you know the the top like three things we should keep in mind?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think that the excitement like it's here really starts on pricing day. So the day prior to going public, and it's what everyone on the team is looking for. You know, what is the uh, what is the number so everyone's waiting to hear what the CEO tells us the IPO price will be and it sets the initial ESPP offering price if you have that um, kicking off at the same time helps calculation on the awards that are being valued usually for the board and in particular milestone grants that you know have been waiting for this day so it gets a lot of calculations going lets many people um, figure out what kind of profits they may make if they have options and they they want to sell and it's really Changed a lot in the last year as the SEC has allowed or regulators have allowed for this early lockup release period, uh, which Olo had and a number of companies have had over the past year or so. It's a new feature and it gets a lot of excitement. We had our early lockup release as from IPO date through the end of the month, so about a two week period where employees could trade 20% of their shares held at IPO and 20% of their vested options. So that sounds great, but um, it adds a lot more complexity, a lot of extra work. It requires extra preparations, like having, you know, the shares delivered or just 20% doing more calculations on which shares are eligible which different colleagues in the in the company are eligible to be a part of this early lockup release and you know just ensuring that all the right groups of employees are excluded or included and everyone understands who or who cannot trade so it's it's a you know it's a great way for people who've been waiting a long time to actually trade on the market in a short defined period but uh, it actually is it's you know, it's valued and utilized, but it is a a bit more of a headache. I think at, at the end of the day, it, it created a lot of work at, at a very busy time. Yeah. It's a lot to keep track of. That's for sure. But I mean, what
0: an exciting journey. I mean, that's a touchdown, right? So- what comes next? Can we talk a little bit about um, regular lockups and lifts?
2: Sure. So we're actually in the midst of preparing for our lockup release, and that's generally about a six-month period you know, defined by the brokers and part of the contract when you do the um, signing there. So questions are starting to roll in again. The company's getting excited and they're preparing for more exercises, some sales, and the company is preparing to kind of have the freedom to be involved in the market like the Olo shareholders have been doing since IPO. Once again, there are many regulations to follow, blackout windows to be aware of. And for the equity team, it means preparing the broker, the transfer agent for a bulk transfer of the remaining 80% of our shares and preparing to manage any of the outside 10b51 transactions after the release. It's a very busy and exciting time for Olo.
0: Well, they're lucky to have you and all of your experience, that's for sure. So we've covered a lot today, and we're definitely at the end of our journey and our time together. Kelly and Brad, thank you both so much for helping us unpack this path to pre-IPO. It's such a complicated subject. Your insights, your experience, and your knowledge really helped us navigate this journey today.
1: Thank you for having me, Amy. And Kelly, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining Equity Unpacked and being on this journey with us. Subscribe to our podcast and visit schwab.com slash equityunpacked.
2: For important disclosures, see the show notes or visit schwab.com slash equityunpacked.